Good morning and welcome to the Monday Main Point. Today is March the 1st, 2021. And uh, I am Jonathan Hendrickson, an associate pastor here at Rose of Sharon Baptist Church. I'm joined with all my other uh, brother pastors here. Um, we've got Jeremiah Custer, who is our uh, student pastor, Blake Flinch, and our children's pastor back with us this week. And of course, as always, our senior pastor, Jeff McCarthy, is also here. Um, and so uh, if you've never listened to Monday Main Point before and this is your first time, uh, this is where we as pastors kind of take a look back on Sunday's sermon uh, with, a, with an eye towards uh, looking at how we can better apply the, uh, apply the message, maybe dig a little bit deeper into some details that um, uh, the preacher didn't get a chance to get into. And so uh, we are in the middle, or well, not middle, but we're begin, we've just begun last week a new sermon series called Fact Checking the Resurrection. And what we're doing there is we're looking through um, Gary Habermas's uh, six minimal facts. We're adding a seventh. And we're looking at how um, these historical facts that are largely accepted by uh, critical scholars, uh, both liberal critical scholars and conservative critical scholars, but um, some even some skeptics will, will accept this as well. Um, these minimal facts that are accepted by all these historians, um, and when you look at all those historical facts, you put them together, we look and see that the best explanation for those facts, to explain those facts, would be that the resurrection is a historical reality. Last week we looked at the death, bur uh, the, the death by crucifixion and the burial of Jesus. And then this past uh, Sunday, yesterday, Jeremiah uh, dealt with our, our second fact, which is that soon after Jesus' death, his followers had real experiences that they thought were actual appearances of the risen Jesus or were with actual appearances of the risen Jesus. That's important. Um, the wording of that's very important. And we can talk a little bit about that in Jeremiah because what, what the historian is willing to say is that these disciples who claim to have seen the risen Jesus clearly saw something. They, they're not willing to concede that it was the risen Jesus. Notice that the, the, the historical claim is not that soon after his crucifixion, disciples saw the risen Jesus. <clears throat> we would accept that, but historians might not. But what they will say is that they had real experiences. These weren't just... Um, hallucinations or whatever. These were real experiences of some sort um, with someone that they thought was the risen Jesus. What makes that so powerful, though, and this is where you started yesterday, is that that would be pretty amazing if it was one or two people, you know, or a group of eight, you know, eight to ten individuals claim that they see the risen Jesus but what the Bible tells us and what history tells us and what historians are willing to accept is that this didn't involve just one or two people, Jeremiah, but it involved a number of people. I know you have a list there. Uh, give, just run down the list. You don't have to mention all the scripture references. Just run down the list one more time there for us. Yeah, so first off, he appeared to the women, a group of women. We don't know how many. Uh, second, he appeared to two disciples. One of them was named Cleopas on the road to Emmaus. Then he appeared to the 11 disciples minus Thomas, so basically 10 disciples. 
Then he appeared to all 11 disciples, including Thomas. Hmm. Uh, Then he appeared to Peter. He appeared to his brother named James. Uh, At a separate time, he appeared to what Paul says, 500 uh, men and women at one time. And he appeared to the seven disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. Some of those disciples were actual disciples, and then some were just unnamed people who were present. Uh, And then he appeared to an enemy, Saul of Tarsus. Uh, and I think, yeah, that concludes uh, my list that I gave yesterday. Yeah, and so that's a that's a pretty extensive list when you consider all of that. Um, Jeff, the 500, I've, I've often thought about the 500 that, that show up there. And um, do you think that was during the time, because you said it before, Jesus has like a 40-day period, right, that he's on earth teaching and, and instructing. Uh, do you think that, that it was with maybe during that time that he's instructing these 500? Does that include the 500 people you think, or what's your, what's your thought? Well, on um, probably did include that, but if it was like a, a group at one time, um, it could have been possibly when he did ascend, when he gave the Great Commission, either in the Acts version, because they said, you know, they, they were all watching and looking, and like, why are you standing here, you know, looking, go, go. Go do your do the work that you've been called to do. Right. So it could have been a group of people that they knew there were time that Jesus gathered everybody, and, and that was the day he was going to leave. Yeah. Or it could have been you know um, adding all the people up and then all the different claims, and they came up with the five hundred. But I, I'm I'm sure there's probably a group of people as well as all the individuals and other smaller groups of people too. Right. Because I mean, like the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, if people knew Jesus was because he had more followers than the twelve. Right. And if they knew he was alive and he was teaching in Galilee, I'm sure a group of people it, gathered. They couldn't stop him. From yeah, the and, I, and I think that's an important point too. Just uh, yeah. even even just in, in Bible study in general, we sometimes have this notion that that Jesus had these twelve guys that followed him around, and then that was pretty much it. Like he had this like he had this circle of guys, this little group of guys, and his entourage, right? Jesus and the entourage, and they would like travel around parts of. Judea and Galilee and stuff, and then and uh, and it's these same little group of twelve that like shows up at the end. But what we're talking about is he was being followed by large crowds of people. Yeah, even at one time there were the seventy. Yeah, mm-hmm. and if you include maybe a, that they all had a wife and a couple of kids, then that's um, you know two hundred eighty people right there. Right, you know, they showed up. So, right. So it wouldn't be it wouldn't be uh, out of uh, out of the ordinary if there was a group of people that came, ex- especially prior to him leaving, because when he gave the commission, he was given the commission to the whole church. Yeah. Um, and so that's kind of where I I've always kind of pictured the the five hundred might might have been a, a gathered group like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, regardless, Paul says that they were there. And Paul, Paul goes one step further, and he actually says, look, some of those are still alive. You can go check them out for yourself. And mm-hmm. that's what is, I think, really interesting about this, right, is that, that what he's saying is, is that all these claims are falsifiable, mm-hmm. right? If, if it's not true, it's easy enough to show that it's not true. It's, it's not like uh, that they're dealing with something that they can't, they, they couldn't speak out about. Like somebody, somebody could come up and say, you know, if one of those gods think you said this, if one of those people had not seen the risen Jesus, they had ample opportunity to say, I didn't see him. I don't know what Paul's talking about. Paul's talking about his gourd. But that's not what happens. And next week, of course, we want to be careful here because we won't get into next week. But next week, we will see that there's evidence, right, that they actually did see 
um, the, the risen Jesus because of the transformation in their lives. But let's, let's stay on topic here, I guess, and talk a little bit more about um, these appearances and, um, uh, and their impact on, on explaining the, the resurrection because um, not only are they varied in the number of people, like you mentioned, that there's, there, but they're varied in the type of experience they are. So this isn't, and, and, and I think you, you pointed this out. I think you have a list of those two. I'll get you to recap. But I think, like, I think some people might think, well, okay, they saw like a ghost Jesus. And I think you even made the joke about, you know, every time you see like a ghost in the, in the cartoons and stuff, mm-hmm. eat something, it just passes right through them. But in this case, we actually have appearances. These appearances, these experiences we're talking about involved him doing a lot of physical things. So run down that list real quick, Jay. Yeah, so the first thing I mentioned that uh, I quoted Acts 1-3 where it talks about the 40 days. We've already mentioned that. And I just I feel like that's really important to remember. It's not one isolated event. It's not just a few people, but it's a bunch of events, a bunch of people over 40 days. Uh, but then the things that, that uh, kind of the encounters have in common, uh, multiple reports uh, have the disciples actually touching Jesus. Uh, multiple reports have them not recognizing him at first. I think that's partly because they weren't expecting him. Mm-hmm. Uh, they didn't recognize him at first, but then they actually are able to recognize him. Uh, then they were able to have conversations with him, talking back and forth. Multiple reports of him eating and drinking. In fact, I think three of the reports have him eating and drinking uh, something. Uh, then he's able to give them instructions, and Jeff just mentioned one of those at the Ascension where he gives the Great Commission, but also just general instructions of, hey, go here to Galilee, I'm going to meet with you up there, stay there until the Spirit comes, just those types of things. Uh, and then the last one is he allowed the disciples to worship him. Yeah, and I, 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 we'll come back to that last one towards the end of this, this talk today because I think that's really big. Like um, when 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 we're going through here and we're talking about um, the fact that uh, they they touched him, the fact that he gave commandments that they could hear with their ears, um, that he ate and drank. How important? Why is it important that 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 Jesus is able to respond in a physical way, as opposed to um, like say he was a spirit or some kind of glorified spirit that that, that came out that 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 rose from the dead. Yeah, I think and I think Jeremiah did a great job pointing towards this yesterday. But the fact that this was a bodily resurrection is mm-hmm. very important. Why? Well, because it gave I guess it gave tangible evidence right there mm-hmm. that the disciples could look, feel, you know, use their senses, and you know that's how God's wires to use our senses to be able to to be able to like delineate things in our mind and be able to kind of figure out stuff. Mm-hmm. And it also points towards our hope that our bodies will be resurrected too. So I think there's a lot of um, implications for the disciples then and there that, oh my gosh, this man truly is who he said he was because only God could raise himself from the dead like that. So I think it shows the person of Jesus. And I think it also shows the hope that Jesus offers, not just to them then, but for the rest of eternity when he has promised to come back and that our bodies will rise. And Paul even talks a little bit about that in 1 Corinthians 15. So it all kind of ties together. And that's why the resurrection is really the um, really the jugular of Christianity. You know, if you can disprove this, I mean, 
Paul's very correct in saying our faith is in vain. Right. But the resurrection, that means, you know, heaven's real, uh, the gospel's real, transformation's real. Everything rests on that, and that's why it's important that it's a bodily resurrection. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about um, that sort of, in, in your words from your message yesterday, Jeremiah, that's sort of the broad scope, right, of, of what we're looking at, the broad scope of these appearances. But then I really like the fact that you decided, okay, well, let's look at, let's narrow the scope a little bit, and let's sort of zoom in on one of these groups of people who we appear to, and you could have picked from any of those, but um, I noticed you you picked the the women at the tomb, and uh, and that includes Mary Magdalene, of course. Um, speak to w- what your motivation is for, 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 for selecting that group as opposed to selecting some of the others that you could have looked at. Yeah, so a lot of it had to do with, I, I was thinking through, the other facts that we're going to go through. And I knew that you guys would, fo- we have one focus on Paul already. We mm. have one focus on James, the brother of Jesus already. Uh, and then Je- Jeff's going to be focused on uh, kind of the changed lives, the transformed lives that happen after this. So sure. I wanted to go to one that doesn't get as much attention, uh, that is specific more to the appearances, and also just the first people who saw him. Mm. Uh, so every account you read, but really, what it, what it landed for, where it landed for me, is the women who were first are also the ones, the only ones, who show up in every single one of the gospels. Right. So, so explain why that's important to to, to, to someone who's not a biblical scholar, a New Testament scholar. Why why does that make a difference that they show up in all four gospels? Don't, don't most of these stories show up in all four gospels? Yeah. No. Um, it's a great question because I think a lot of people do think that a lot of the stories, like for instance, um, what's the uh, prodigal of the son, the son that returns, the yeah, prodigal, prodigal son. son. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's only in one gospel, uh, but like we kind of treat it as if it's higher importance than the others, mm. kind of thing. But but uh, there's very few things that show up in all four gospels. Some things show up in three of them, the synoptic gospels. But the fact that it shows up in in John, who's just writing completely different, uh, just shows its importance. And and also uh, for our topic of conversation, the whole the whole credibility and the embarrassment uh, thing, which we we'll probably talk about in a second. But um, mm-hmm. that that was that was. All, all of those things kind of played into my motivation for choosing this text. But ma- really, mainly, it was the fact that they were all there. Uh, like the burial is... is, is yeah, all, I mentioned that last week. It's in all four right. Gospels. Yeah, Joseph of Arimathea shows up yeah. in all four. And you're right. It's I, I think you said it... Did you say it last week, maybe? That, that how, many time, how many events are there that show up in all four? Do we know off the top of our heads? I think I did say it last week. It's not many. It's like six. Yeah. I, I, like as far as events. Right. Um, so that's... Yeah, like even the birth only shows up in two. That's true. That's true. <laughs> uh, John, John doesn't but even... the death and the burial and the resurrection <laughs> shows up in all four. Yeah, yeah, that's right. But John doesn't. Uh, John doesn't deal with the birth at all. Other than just to say creation. Yeah, the, the creation yeah. right? And Mark, he's already. Mark, he's already a man. Yeah, exactly. Time, so. Exactly. Like this. Just as an example on the resurrection appearances, the the sea at Tiberias, the kind of big one where uh, they see Jesus on the shore and he tells them to 
fish on the other side and all that yeah, kind right, of stuff. Right. It's only in one, John. It's right. in one gospel, as opposed to the women who show up in all four. Right. And 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 to be clear here, and I think it's important to clarify at this point, we're not saying that that Sea of Tiberius account didn't happen. It's not that it didn't happen or that it wasn't even important. Um, what we're saying is is that when it comes to establishing um, historical fact, the more sources you have, the 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 more critics and skeptics are going to be willing to to say, okay, yeah, this is probably historical. This probably did happen. And one of the things that you mentioned this, <clears throat> and we'll, I'm, I'm going to be bouncing around a little bit. I'm not following your outline exactly here, but I, but I want to talk about this a little bit, and I'll let Jeff chime in on this since we've not heard from him in a few minutes. Um, the um, the including the women and the fact that the women are included in all four gospels is important one like you said because it says okay these are multiply attested it means there's multiple sources that attest this but the second thing and maybe a bigger thing is what we call and historical scholars call the criterion of embarrassment um jeff why why is that in that notion of embarrassment, why does that play a part in, in how, how this is maybe more historical uh, or that we can believe this actually happened with these women? Well, um, Jeremiah mentioned it. Uh, he went to the culture of the time. And if you remember when he did a sermon, he's like, these aren't Jeremiah's words. He was kind of <laughs> clarifying. But, but if he's looking over at his yeah, wife the whole yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. I didn't say this, hon. I didn't say this, babe. This is not me. This yeah. is not me. This is this is other people who said this. So at that time, women were not, uh, uh, they were not credible eyewitnesses to an event. Right. So if I was going to make up a story and, I wanted to give credibility to the story. I probably would have had Joseph of Arimathea probably garner the disciples, get them all brave and like, let's go to the, let's go overtake the soldiers and let's roll across the tomb. And then Jesus comes out because, you know, Joseph of Arimathea, a member of the Sanhedrin, Mm -hmm. you know, a more prominent person that people would believe. Mm -hmm. So when you, when you have the very first people, to witness the resurrected Christ as women shows you that it has to be true because nobody at that time if they were writing it to try to have a, a fake story to give it credibility would, would have the women being the first. Yeah. Um, and so, and the reason the women were the first because they were doing the tasks that were assigned to women at the time. The men didn't want to be ceremonially unclean. So they're not going to go wash a body or, or embalm a body or put the, the spices and all. And the women came to do that, and they were coming to, to embalm a body. They weren't coming to, to you know, dance around the tomb and wait for Jesus to pop out. They, they didn't expect it either. So, um, so, so they're there, and then they go tell the disciples, and the disciples didn't believe them because, you know, it's idle tales. Now, Peter and John run to check it out for themselves, and all they found was an empty tomb. But um, I think I think that in and of itself, like Je- Jeremiah was saying in the sermon, Jesus was different from everybody. He treated people as people, as people uh, of value. Uh, he saw through all the cultural things that we add, and um, and so he appears to them. He gives them the opportunity <clears throat> to be the first evangelist of the resurrection, 
And they're the first people that actually worship the resurrected Lord. So if you think about it, I mean, that was pretty awesome. Right. So that adds credibility to the story based on the cultural mores of the day. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. In fact, it, and if you don't, you know, another, I think another example of, of this is found in uh, Luke's account uh, with the Emmaus disciples. Because if you notice when the Emmaus disciples are explaining to Jesus, Jesus walking along the road with these, these two uh, these two disciples and they're 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 tell they don't recognize him as Jesus as is after his resurrection they don't recognize him yet they're talking to him and he's like well what's wrong with you guys and they're like oh you haven't heard where you been you've been hiding under a rock and one of the things that they end with is they say moreover some women from our group astounded us <laughs> they arrived early at the tomb and when they didn't find his body they came and reported that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it, just as the women had said. They were like, okay, well, the, the tomb was empty. Yeah. But then listen to this. But they didn't see him. So right, it's like, right, you know, right. it's like... Um, and so like our thing is fact-checking. So the fact-checker would be like, did women really, were the women really the first ones to see Jesus alive? Yeah, yeah. You know, or let's say some, some other claim was out there that, uh, let's say Peter says, no, I was the first one. Well, then you did the fact check and like, no, Peter, that, that's fake, fake news. That's just trying to make Peter look good. <laughs> right. But this is really what happened. Yeah. And so that's what the whole point of the our sermon series is to kind of re-look re at the story from a different angle and mm -hmm. then see how it becomes alive again for us. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, so so the another thing is, uh, that reminded me of, Jeremiah, is the quote that you, and I don't have it in front of me, but I'm sure you have it. The quote you mentioned from the first century uh, skeptic who said uh, basically, well, I just read it because I'm not going to remember it exactly, but he was talking about how because it was because Mary Magdalene is the first one to see the risen Lord, we can't believe this thing called Christianity. What's the quote exactly? They called him hysterical or something. Yeah, so Celsus, the second century critic of Christianity. He second century critic, okay. Yeah. yeah. He mocked the idea of Mary Magdalene as an alleged resurrection witness, referring to her as a hysterical female deluded by sorcery. Wow. So, and that gets into, Blake, um, I, uh, I, I, you may have studied this before too. That gets into something that some people will look and go, okay, you all, sure, they had some, some kind of experience. Um, you know, but we have kooks all the time who have some kind of experience. Like people, see, people claim that UFOs landed in this podunk town in Massachusetts, right? And you got like two or three people who claim that they were affected by the aliens and stuff. Who's to say that this Blake didn't happen the same way? Like, how, I mean, it's possible that these people were just kooky and they, they said, uh, you know, in the same way that, you know, oh, we saw aliens, oh, we saw there isn't Jesus. Um, what would you say to a skeptic who says that? Well, if described like that, I don't know what I would quite say at first. But, <laughs> but uh, I now, mean, to be fair, yeah, I, think, but, I think there are people yeah, who think yeah, this. I, but, I, I want to be clear. Yeah, and to be fair, I would say, listen, I understand your skepticism, but let's lay out some facts. Um, I'd go back to the numbers. I mean, we're talking 500 plus, Jeremiah uh, estimated maybe even up towards 1,000. So let's just say for what we know, let's just say at least 500. Mm -hmm. All right, you have 500 people saying that they've seen the same thing. One, mass hallucination does not happen. 
and especially if it's unexpected. And like Jeremiah said yesterday, this the resurrection was unexpected. Right. Even though the Old Testament scriptures briefly hinted at some sort of resurrection, um, it, I mean, it's not it's not very clear. But you know, when it's unexpected, even an enemy of Jesus, Saul of Tarsus, sees this. Mm-hmm. Um, Five hundred people see this, and not just one time, but over a span of forty days. All right, that is. It's impossible to mass hallucinate and to be a kook mm-hmm. on something like that. And even, uh, even let's see, it was the National Center for a, a Psychiatry or something. In uh, if you've never seen it, a Lee Strobel's movie, A Case for Christ, mm-hmm. he actually had the exact same question that was proposed here, um, and he went to this atheist. Uh, leader of the it's like the national association for like psychiatric something like that some big right. word that is never used in surrey county where i'm from but, <laughs> i was getting ready to say but, when you talk about ufos he's from surrey county yeah. <laughs> but, but, but basically you got this atheist that he goes to who's like a medical expert saying listen if you're trying to disprove the resurrection by saying it's mass hysteria you're kind of up to creep without a paddle because that's not mm. true. It's not true. Um, nobody in history has ever mass seen something like this. And, and if they have, it's no more than like six or seven people. Right. So I would stick with the numbers and let the numbers do the talking. Yeah. I and think, uh, let uh, the Holy Spirit do the rest in the heart. <laughs> I think that's solid. I, um, there's a there's a one version of the hallucination theory, and I can't remember the name of the book, and I don't have it in front of me right, right off. But basically, it claims that they were all on mushrooms. Mm-hmm. That there was a magic mushroom that, that, that they were taking at the time. Like magic, you know, I'm, I'm in quotation marks. But like they were all eating this mushroom and it caused all of them to have this group hallucination. Because one of the things you said is that even when, uh, even when hallucinations happen, it almost always involves some sort of drug or hallucinogenic thing. But then you know you point back to Peter's sermon in Acts, and what does he tell them when they're like, they're like, you, you remember Peter's first sermon in Acts, where he's like, he's you know he's proclaiming all this, and 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 they're speaking in tongues and things, and everybody can hear in their own language, and they're like, oh, these guys have to be drunk, and he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa we're not drunk, we're we're stone cold sober right here, yeah. you know, we've not been drinking, we're so, not on, we're not on anything. Right. He actually says it's it's nine in the morning. Yeah, <laughs> it's too early to be. Drunk. It's too early to be drunk. Like, what do you think? <laughs> That's if it was midnight, right? right? If it was midnight, maybe we'd have five o'clock you know, somewhere. But, <laughs> but 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 the point is, is that um, it's not there. And, and the other thing, and I think you're right, Blake. Um, almost in all those cases, you have to have some sort of expectation of that which you're hallucinating. Even in the case of an alien, so you have to have some sort of belief that aliens exist, right? You have to have some sort of presupposition that this is the possible. But, and this was in your your whole first point was devoted to this, and I kind of touched on it last week with my message as well. It's clear to me from the accounts that we have there and by the behavior of the disciples and others, the resurrection, Jeremiah, wasn't anything they were expecting. It wasn't even on their radar. For one, it's not a part of their this kind of resurrection. Now, there were some in the in, in the in, in in the Jewish sect that believed that a resurrection was possible, but this would be like a 
in the end time, there'll be a general resurrection. And, and then even, even among their own, there was debate over that. You had the Pharisees who believed and the Sadducees didn't. Um, but none of them believed it possible for someone just to come out of a tomb on their own. Like They wouldn't have been looking for that because it was just so foreign. And N.T. Wright, in his book, uh, Surprised by Hope, and another book as well, makes a big point of that. Like he, he really says that one of the biggest uh, evidences that he sees for the resurrection is, um, is the advent of Christianity and this, this notion of a, like, a resurrection that's now available for all. Mm. That's so that's foreign to Judaism mm. that it had to come from somewhere. And to think that these disciples who were not scholars, Jeff, they weren't, mm. they weren't high-thinking scholars, could just cook that up on their own just seems a bit ludicrous. Um, and to support that point, you know, to put, give Jewish context to how just untrained these disciples were, you know, they had to go through one or two schools of thought, like mm-hmm. in the Jewish uh, sector. And these disciples didn't make the cut for like either of these. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so they were basically lowly fishermen who were out doing nothing just to support your, right. just to support your point. Yeah, exactly. Well, I want to spend this last, this last little bit kind of talking about where rubber hits the road. We've kind of talked about more of the, the history, and that's, that's all fascinating and stuff. But okay, why does that even matter, right? I mean, what, what do we pull from this? Um, because at the end of the day, um, there, there's got to be a message there that's for um, that's uh, that, that's gonna like how do I apply this to my life other than telling skeptics about it? What what impact does this have for me personally? And man, I really like where you went with this um, because I think it's it's uh, it has to do with with the, fit, the with the appearances, but it also has to do with our response. And the thing that you pointed out, Jeremiah, yesterday was that in in many of these cases, the first thing that happens as a result of this real experience with a risen Jesus is worship. Mm-hmm. It's worship. Um, and well, I think we can learn from that. Um, uh, just speak to that for a second because I know you had a chance to – it was towards the end of your message, and so I'm sure you would like to have maybe had a chance to elaborate on that a little bit more yesterday. So I'll give you that opportunity now. Um, how important is worship in terms of our encounter with the risen Jesus, like the, as a response, and or, or even not just our our uh, important for us, but why is it important that we see these first ones, these women, Mary Magdalene's? You're right. The first thing she does is worship him. Um, we see the women fall at his feet and worship him. We see Thomas say, "My Lord and my God," and worship him. Um, it's just over and over, and Jesus allows it. So why is that important? Yeah, I mean, I think it's important because these appearances are clearly, they go from being skeptics, all of them, even Mary Magdalene, not really a skeptic, but she's not expecting it, right? And then at first she doesn't even recognize Jesus. And uh, so, so they go from being skeptic to kind of what we would say is reality, and once reality hit, they realized it was actually Jesus. Something was triggered in them to understand this is real. Th- this man is who he says he is. He is now risen from the dead. 
there's only one appropriate response for that, and that's that's worship, to fall down at the feet and worship him. Now, I don't want to speak too negatively of Mary Magdalene and John. It actually says that she she grabs his feet uh, and and then Jesus doesn't really rebuke her, but says, don't don't grip or don't hold on to this. Meaning, don't hold on to my body. It's not, it, I'm going away. It's, it's don't try to, to keep me here, right? Uh, but, but she's still in, in, in an act of worship. And Matthew straight up says she, she falls down and worships him. And so, um, yeah, that's, that's the appropriate response. When, when you are finally convinced that Jesus raised from the dead, there's really only one, one response. And then after you've made that response, another response the first response is to worship. The second response is to tell others about that. And that's what they did too, right? That's exactly what they did. They didn't keep it to themselves. And it's why I love the Thomas story so much. He gives a bad rep as the, the doubting Thomas or whatever. But every one of them, I, I think I proved that every one of them were skeptical. Every one of them. Uh, he's just the one that boldly said, look, unless I can touch him, it ain't real for me. Uh, but then when it becomes real, he's the first person to call life just... Actually, I think I could say this. He is the first person who called Jesus God. I know Jesus alludes to it and Jesus says, I am and all, all those things. But he's the first... Well, Peter, what was Peter's confession before? You're um, the Messiah. You are the Messiah. Yeah, the, you're the, the son Christ. Of, the yes, son of the, the living, living God. God. Yeah. But that's not even you are God. My, no. my Lord and my, my God. God. Yeah. Which is probably the greatest confession of a man ever. Yeah. Especially post-resurrection. And so I think that's the appropriate response. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, go ahead. You got something you want to say? Oh, well, I was just going to say from, I guess, from like a family and children's standpoint, um, yeah, I really believe we can take the, like the women here and just show that, um, you know, I'm, all, I'm definitely a firm believer that the first mission field we should have is with our families. And, you know, use this to use this to help answer any questions like your kids might have and whether the, they be, you know, eight or 18. Um, use it, you know, have fun, have fun discussions in your home about this. And, you know, just say, you know, ask your kid, do you really believe Jesus rose from the dead? Just kind of pick their brains and see where they're at with this, because I think it'll help you when you ask direct questions like that. Mm. I think it'll help kind of see where your child is at. Yeah, and and don't be afraid to ask questions that you don't know the answers to. Right? That's right. Because some, sometimes, uh, sometimes uh, that that's okay. And, and saying I don't know uh, when you get a question from from whether it's your child or whether it's from just a friend or anybody else, if you don't know the answer, there's no shame in saying I don't know. It doesn't doesn't affect your faith. It doesn't affect your belief. It's just saying I honestly hadn't thought that through. Give me some time to think it through. And then do some research. Figure it out. Contact us if you want to. And quite frankly, um, an I don't know goes much further with humility than trying to make up some answer that's just off the wall and not true when yes. you're dealing with people who I, I, disbelieve. I, yes, I, I, uh, I, I can't agree more. Um, what's your take, Jeff? I, I know you, you probably have something to say here as well on terms of, in terms of worship and our response and, and how does this... How does this help us see where rubber hits road here? Yeah. Well, I, that, that reminded me of a passage, and I think I preached on this before. It was uh, in Matthew, right before the Great Commission. Um, 
Matthew 28, 16, the 11 disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Yeah. And I always thought that was just the coolest verse after the resurrection, after everything they've experienced all these years with Jesus. He's he's died. He's buried. He's raised again. He's taught. He's done all these things. Right before he's getting ready to give the Great Commission, (laughs) there's still people like, yeah, uh, I'm just not there yet. <laughs> just not there yet. But yeah. that, isn't that us, though? I mean, because we're is. given these facts. We're going to put them all together, and people are going to hear all of them. And to hear all of them, and, you know, and then come back and say, I'm just not there yet. I mean, yeah. even Lee Strobel, others that have, like, their, their main mission, that Wallace guy, we're going to disprove it. And they use techniques that they would use for any other thing they're trying to disprove. Yep. And they come back and they go, I can't doubt anymore. Yeah. I've got to do something. Yep. So either you believe or you reject. Yep. I mean, that's just the only two choices. Yeah. And, um, you know, and God wants us to, to respond to worship him, to realize who he is. Yeah. And, um, and then once we do, you know, we believe in our heart that Jesus raised from the dead and we confess with our mouth that he's Lord. The Bible says we'll be saved. So that's why it's important to say, yes, I believe now. And yes, I want others to believe too. So it's a journey. We're all on a journey. Mm. And God wants us to bring us to him. And where anybody's at on the journey, we don't know. Right. And our our role then is not to have someone who's doubting to make it even harder for them to believe. That's right. To stay in their doubt. Our job then is to say, let me see if I can get you just a step closer. Right. Just a step closer. Yes. And I think um, that's that's all of our goals always. Right. And then not feel, don't beat yourself up if you do have some doubts and questions and things like that too, because the disciples did. Yeah, and and, and I, I like I, I I like that um, because wherever you are uh, listening to this, maybe you're really secure in, in in your faith, and that's awesome, and we applaud you for that, but. Um, maybe maybe you're you're listening and, and you've entertained doubts. You've you've struggled with some of these same things that we're talking about. You read the Bible and you go, but what about this? Nobody ever talks about this. And what it? How how do I know this really happened? Um, those kinds of things. Look, those are questions that uh, that led me uh, that that I still struggle with from time to time. Look, I. I, I ask a lot of questions. I'm a question asker, and 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 I have a healthy skepticism. I guess is the way I would put it. I'm not I'm not uh, an extreme skeptic, but I like to ask things and and dig deep and figure out. Okay, um, can I really believe this? Right. And for the longest time, I thought that that made me um, like a worse person. Right. That I that I was. Uh, somehow a lesser than Christian, but that's not the case at all. And so if that's you, I just want to encourage you. Um, I want to encourage you. Hopefully this helps. And listen, if you're listening for and, and you don't you're not convinced by anything we say, you know what? We still love you. We, we have no uh, and, and, and just like Jeff said, our our desire is to try to help clear up any any confusion, any doubts about what we believe as Christians. And um, at the end of the day, we would love to see you come alongside of us. But if you're not there yet, you know what? That's okay. That's okay. Um, we still love you, um, and we still want to be there for you. And 
but we, we want you to continue to seek, continue to look for truth. Um, you know, I've, I've heard it said many times before, if what you believed wasn't the truth, would you want to know it? If what you believe wasn't true, would you want to know it? Mm-hmm. And I can say wholeheartedly, if Christianity and what I believe about Christianity is not true, then yes, I want to know that. Um, I, nobody's been able to give me a defeater for it yet that is convincing enough for me to abandon my faith. Um, but I'm open to that. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And, and and that doesn't mean I'm less than a Christian. I'm just saying if somebody could present a defeater, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't just. Carte Blanche say, no, I'm not going to listen to you. I would want to weigh it out. And I hope that's you as well. Seek truth. Look for truth. I believe that when you seek for truth, you're going to find God <laughs> in, right. in the end because right. God is truth. Jesus Christ is the person of truth. And, um, and you'll find him uh, if you continue to seek for him. All right, well, listen, um, we're right at 40 minutes, so this has been a good discussion. Um, I've, I've enjoyed this one today, fellas. I'm enjoying this sermon series, Jeff. I'm looking forward to next week. We talk. We're gonna we're gonna just go right where we left off, and we're gonna talk about how these appearances right led to transformed lives, um, because that is historical fact as well. And so we look forward to discussing this again on Monday. Hope you'll join us once more. Um, if you enjoy Monday Main Point, drop us a line. Let us know and share it with your friends. Uh, you know, there's lots of podcasts you can listen to. We're glad you're listening to us. Uh, glad they're on for about 40 minutes. <laughs> and hopefully this has been an encouragement to you and an encouragement to your week. All right. Well, that's going to wrap it up for today. Uh, thanks for tuning in and we'll see you next time. So long. <laughs>